Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and for the last number of weeks, we've been playing audio from the recent Strategic Philanthropy Global Summit that my partner, John Ramstead, helped lead. And today's speaker is none other than John Ramstead himself. We are live with a day four of the Strategic Philanthropy Summit. Speaker number one, John Ramstead, coming up. We are so excited to hear from my partner and co-founder of the summit, John, in just a moment. A couple of things, uh, shouts out to those of you coming in. See a bunch more just joined us. Tell us your name, where you're from, what you do, what makes it special. I see Kat from Washington, D.C. Kat works on clean water programs, everyone. I don't know if you guys know this, but 50% uh, of the people in hospital in the world are in the hospital because of bad water somehow. It's staggering. It's staggering, 50% of the people in the world. And Kat's uh, been a very passionate, clean water advocate from multiple directions. I'm glad to see you're here. Thanks for joining us. We have someone in from Togo, uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Um, how cool is that? And uh, Ottawa, United Canada. United Kingdom. United Kingdom. Um, look at this. Southern Cal, Reno and Southern Cal. There we go. <laughs> uh, it's so excited. Um, one of the things that we just want to announce for those here live and for those listening to this recording, we're the start of day four. So we passed the halfway point. We've got, you know, uh, 12 amazing, amazing influential entrepreneurs and speakers that have shared their messages so far. Um, if you're uh, in for our free registration, the day one speakers expire on your replay site tonight uh, at midnight. So make sure that you listen to those uh, uh, amazing, impactful speakers, especially that first guy. Oh, man, he was good. No, wait a sec. That was me. <laughs> Lance Walnow. I would, if I could only pick one on day one. Actually, you know what? I would pick Harv, Mickey, Lance, and me. Yeah, I'm not picking one. Um, the, all four are completely uh, awesome and completely different perspectives. Uh, totally worth your while. Um, however, for those of you that uh, are considering upgrading to VIP, uh, we changed the price from $97 to $297 at the end of the summit. So it'll still be an incredible deal uh, at the end of the summit. Um, but we were talking over this morning, what can we do to add even more value uh, we've had, we've had uh, a whole bunch of people, dozens of people upgrade, and we're, as you may recall, all the net proceeds go to two charities, and we're well beyond our fixed costs. So now, every dime that comes in goes to these two charities. Unbridled Acts, Stan Bullis' amazing not-for-profit organization, and Kiva Microloans, which does micro-lending in developing countries all over the world. Um, amazing, inspiring work. And we want to raise we want to get up to over $10,000 for them. So we want to encourage every one of you to recruit someone to upgrade if you've already upgraded or to get off the fence and do it yourself. And we realized one of the best ways to enjoy all these speakers is if you had an MP3 file. So we're going to take the time to strip out the audio from each of the video recordings and create a separate MP3 file in the membership site. For those that haven't noticed, the VIP site will go live on Sunday. It'll be a separate site from the recording replay site, separate passwords, separate login information. And on Sunday, you'll get that. I've just got confirmed with our tech superstar, Arthur, last night. You'll have it already. It's been uh, literally double the work creating a whole separate site. But we're doing that for a bunch of reasons to make it easier for you guys to use going forward. And now we're going to add in the MP3 recordings 
So if you, uh, if you get a chance today or tomorrow, invest $97, making the planet better, pay it forward. And, uh, you know, today's theme is all about leverage, leveraging the three things really as entrepreneurs we have and as humans, time, money, and influence, right? If you think about it, those are the things that we can leverage the most, time, money, and influence. And I am so excited to start off today with a master of leveraging all three of those. John is a leadership and executive coach with the Ramstead Group. His passion is to be a catalyst for leaders to live beyond influence. He started five companies, served on the leadership team of a Fortune 100 company, and started two nonprofits. Just like me, can't focus, can you, John? <laughs> Shiny object, Tom. Shiny, Shiny object. object. Love it. Prior to getting into business, John was a U.S. Navy pilot flying F-14s, where he graduated number one, top of the class, and received the Chief of Naval Training and Education Student of the Year Award. Uh, he flew combat sorties in Desert Storm, was an instructor at the Strike Fighter Weapons School, where he embraced how to live a life beyond influence. Then, after a near-fatal accident, which he'll share some about, that put him in the hospital for almost two years, John connected to his calling, really genuinely connected for the first time. Today, John lives to equip leaders to create the life they were meant to live. He's married to his best friend, Donna, for 26 years. They live in Denver with their three boys. So excited to welcome you formally. Over to you, Mr. John. Uh, thanks, Tom. And thank you guys all for being here. <clears throat> I, I want to bring you all back. <coughs> Excuse me, I've been getting over a cold, so I'll just apologize right up front. But there was a phrase that just pump, just jumps out, and it was, don't launch. I want to bring you back to February of 1991. It was 113 degrees. There was a wind blowing straight in my face of about 20, almost exactly 25 knots. And I was somewhere in the Persian Gulf, and I had just fired up the engines of my F-14 and I was getting ready to go into that first combat sortie that Tom talked about. And I'm asking myself a question, man, am I, am I ready for this? It'd been three years of my life preparing for this moment and, and, and doubts were running through my head. I was about to launch off the USS Independence straight in over the Gulf and what we called feet dry. And what I did is I consumed myself because I didn't want to think about everything that was going through my head with all the checklists and getting ready for this launch and were my weapons, my weapons ready. And I taxied forward to the catapult and the ground crew did all their final inspections of my airplane. And, and I gave them a snappy salute and I said, everything's ready inside. And this voice in my head said, don't launch. You're not ready. I, I all of a sudden I just almost froze. I was scared. And the next thing I knew it was boom. Zero to 150 miles an hour in 2.4 seconds, and I was off the front of that catapult, and I was heading into combat, climbing up to altitude, and I have to ask you guys a question. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you just felt like you were not prepared to move forward? No matter what you had done to prepare for that moment, I would, you know, take out a piece of paper, take some notes, because I'm going to throw some things out at you guys, and I would just write a big T, and if you go, if you guys do some of the transformational leadership training that Ford talked about yesterday, uh, some of these T charts that he does are phenomenal. But I, I would challenge you to actually write down 10 things, 
moments in your life, if you look back, where you just felt you weren't prepared and maybe you failed or you succeeded, but you moved through somehow, there was a result. Write down what that is. Because what we're talking about today is leverage and how do you overcome to become? Because what I'm going to be talking about is that personal leverage and how we're going to bring that out in the world. So as I'm flying away and I'm climbing to altitude, I got to tell you, I actually started feeling confident because here's here's what I'd done. Six months prior, heading into the Persian Gulf, uh, we did a an exercise with the Royal Australian Air Force, and I got my behind kicked doing <laughs> combat maneuvering, <laughs> dogfighting. Think about, uh, you know, you guys have seen Top Gun. Imagine being the worst guy that would never be even considered to go to Top Gun because, it, you know, I was like a first-year wrestler on the wrestling team. The guy that would maybe win a match now and then because he actually did something by accident that he could never repeat. <laughs> and that was me. And, you know, there was, there was one guy in our squadron. His, his call sign was Animal. And he, he was a pretty rough around the edges kind of guy, as you can imagine. But there, there, nobody could beat him. Even the uh, people in the air wing, people in other, the Navy, the Air Force, with other better superior aircraft, F-16s, F-15s, he could beat them all. And I went up to Animal, and this is, when, this is one of the first times when I realized how powerful mentoring and coaching can be in your life. And I asked him if he would mentor me, and he said, nope. I'm like, he said, I'll fly with you, though. <laughs> okay. Let's see what that means. So we went up on our, our, our first flight with Animal, and we did eight engagements. And literally, a dogfight is like playing three-dimensional chess at 400 miles an hour. Anytime you move your airplane, the chessboard changes. And what, what is going on in your head and how you're thinking, honestly, I felt like I was Velcroed on the back of the airplane, just kind of hanging on for dear life. And at the end, of, at the end of the flight, we landed, and he had beat me all eight times very quickly. And something <laughs> that amazed me, is we had a shorthand on, you know, how to describe maneuvers and things that would happen during the flight. It was some, some, a skill that I had not mastered. Um, uh, Animal had three kneeboard cards that were filled front and back with every maneuver he did and I did. And I, I, first of all, I was blown away. And, I, and in the Navy, when we did a debrief, because remember, uh, we, we, we had a motto, train like you fight, fight like you train. Because your life and the life of the guy next to you depends on what you do and the decisions that you make. So in these debriefs, these were, these were getting raw, bare naked, no holds barred. If you did something well, you heard about it. If you didn't do something well, um, you heard about it in front of the whole squadron. Hmm. And I was not looking forward, Tom, to this debrief with Animal, a lot because of his personality. <laughs> with trepidation, I sit down in my chair and I'm just kind of getting myself ready for this. And he pulls out the first kneeboard card, and here's what he said. He said, when we came together that first time and you turned, uh, you know, behind my tail and went nose low, why did you do that? Because um, <laughs> I honestly, I was just thinking to myself, I didn't really have a game plan other than my first one or two moves. And here's what he did over the next three months as we flew together, every single move that I made in that flight, he would challenge me. Why did you do that, John? What were you seeing? What were you thinking? What do you think I was thinking? What do you think my game plan was? And, and he never gave me any advice, Tom. Hmm. What he did is he challenged me to reshape how I think and perceive 
in React. And we heard Ford yesterday talk about thoughts, feelings, and actions. Mm-hmm. As, I, as somebody else helped me completely reshape how I thought, the, what I started feeling was actually confident. Mm-hmm. I started feeling like this is something I could actually excel at. You know, I actually, maybe I am the kind of person that might get the tap on the shoulder to go to Top Gun someday. Hmm. At the end of that three months, Tom, uh, I could beat every single person in the air wing except Animal. I honestly, I never bet, I never beat him in a dogfight. But hmm. our commanding officer, uh, who'd been the commanding officer of Top Gun before he came to our squadron, I beat him in a fight, and <laughs> he nominated me to go to Top Gun as our air wings representative. Wow! Now, it was right at, so. Here's what I realized is as you learn how to react to the various situations in your life, you know, think about that. Think about a time in your life where things just went really well or they didn't go so well. This is a place, this is, you know, some introspection. Take, take some time, write some of these moments down. What were these high moments? What were these low moments? Take, take some time to really examine what you were thinking, what you were feeling, and what your actions were, and did they bring the results in your life. Hmm. And if they didn't, I know for a fact you can find people to help you reshape that process so that what you're bringing, that unique value, we're going to talk about this a little bit, that is inside of you, you're going to bring it out in a, in, in a, in a way that is completely authentic and meaningful. All right. So I had transformed my fighter pilot skills. I was going to go to Top Gun uh, and then I was playing softball with some friends of mine, Tom, and I got hit with a line drive softball in the eye and I blew out. I had a, a fracture to the back of my eye socket and I had some nerve damage. I had some double vision and I was done. Now, I know Steve Gatina talked about this too with his athletic career. This right. has been my dream, Tom, since I was a kid. I read every book on air warfare. I don't know, probably watched the movie Top Gun a hundred times uh, and worked my hardest. That's why I was number one in flight school because I had never worked at anything so hard in my life, mostly because I was scared to death. If I didn't graduate at the top, I was afraid they might put me in helicopters. <laughs> scared to death to fly helicopters. <laughs> I had dual motivation. So you're obviously above average intelligence person too then. <laughs> yeah. uh, I knew what I didn't want, you know, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, we know what we don't want, but so how many of you out there would like to know exactly what you were created to do, that you're using 100% of your strengths, your gifts, your talents. Amen, absolutely. feel like if you were in that place right now, so you might not know what that place looks like, but here's what I do. I'd write down these two questions. What would be the best part of that for you personally if you knew that you were doing exactly what you were created to do? And what would that give you? What would that do in your life? Because when you move to that place, that is what we call living beyond influence. We've heard the definition of leadership is influence. When you're influencing one or two or three people, you are in a leadership role. But what happens when you're influencing that one person? What we're talking about here is really from an eternal perspective, right? The use of our lives We should live our lives so that the use of our life should outlive our life. So think about what that looks like to live beyond just the influence that you have and the people here, but it's really the the impact that you're having uh, in the kingdom, in the world, in your marriage, in your kid's life, something that's actually bigger and more exciting than you are.
A couple of things. First off, um, I'm going to jump right back to when you asked Animal um, for mentoring because uh, most people, when they're new into a profession, don't have the guts to go up to whoever is, and I I don't use the term balls because men and women have guts. In fact, from my experience, women tend to have more, more, uh, than men. How's that? Yeah. Uh, let's put it this way. If if guys had to deliver children and go through that process, there wouldn't be a lot of kids in the world. I'm pretty sure. So, but the, the, the real, the drive to stretch out and do that, what, what prompted that? Was it, was it desperation, fear because you were getting your butt whooped? Was it, was it anticipating to be like, like him? What do you remember at that point? Well, you know, that. so picture this, we're on an aircraft carrier. We're steaming toward the Persian Gulf. Desert storm had just kicked off. We're seeing CNN replays of, you know, flack and AAA and Sam service air missiles being shot in the air. Uh, one of my good friends, an F-14 pilot had been shot down. His call sign was Devo. Uh, his back seater was the guy you saw all on the all on TV that was a POW on Iraq, the guy that was all beat up and just terribly bruised. And I knew some other guys that had been shot down. We didn't know what the Iraqi Air Force was going to do and be like. It turned out that they were not much of a threat, but we didn't know that. Right. This is the first Gulf War, right? This is the first Gulf War, right? This is the er- the early one, right? This is H.W. Um, Bush right? and, and uh, Schwarzkopf and, and that whole team. But think about it, there's been so many times in my life where I've, you know, this was a life and death situation because this wasn't only just about me uh, because when you're in that environment, uh, you're not just thinking about, I don't want to die because you know, I have this amazing woman I'm married to. You, you have such a close bond with the people that you're with in the mm-hmm. squadron. I want to be the best that I can be, Tom, so you can depend on me. Yeah, totally. And I got to tell you, it was... Uh, there was a stark contrast when I got out of the military, this culture of excellence. Even if you didn't like somebody in that culture, maybe you weren't best friends. Um, you, you know what? You grew to respect them because of what they, brought, what they brought to the table and who they are. And you knew that you could depend on them when they were on your wing or if I was on their wing. And something that really struck me when I got out of the military and I got into business, that culture of integrity, of excellence, of character, of, you know, adding value of serving each other selflessly, you know, just that, you know, that servant, that Christ-like leadership. I want to lo- loop back on that for a second because yeah. I don't want to miss the thread. Um, yeah. Let's go back to that decision to, to, to work with Animal or to approach him first. So I approached him, you know what, and part of it was I wanted to be the best. And I knew, and I had this awareness that, you know what, I, if I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, John, you're, you're not the best. You can talk a big game. Uh, but I wasn't able to walk the talk. So you just knew that and said, I'm going to find the best and I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to find the best and I'm going to ask that person who's the best if he'd be willing to mentor me. Love it. You know what? He didn't mentor me, Tom. What he did is he coached me because he never gave me advice. Yeah, well, and, 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 and the reason I asked that is because today I know the next two speakers tell compelling, amazing stories of massive impact from the same decision, right? Mm -hmm. Both Mark Willis and Diane. I mean, amazing, amazing stories. And so for many of you, because I saw the chat box light up when you first started talking about that, you know, wow, what a relief it was to ask. You know, we're all there. We're all there at various times where there is another level to play at. There's another level of excellence that we can achieve. And as you heard from Dove so eloquently, even world-class, amazing people are playing that same game. In fact, I would argue 
that is the game to play. Well, you know, let me bring you back because um, uh, when I went down to flight school, my dad had been a commodore crewman in the Pacific in the Navy enlisted guy. He was really excited that I'm going this route. But he pulled me aside and, and honestly gave me some of the best advice I've ever had in my life. And he said, hey, listen, when you get down to flight school, there's going to be a student who's ahead of you, who's the ace of the base, that's crushing the grades that everybody's talking about. And you know what? He said, John, he has figured it out. Get to know him, buy him a beer, make him a friend, and figure out what he's doing that's different from everybody else. And that guy's name was John Foster. Love it. And he was, he, and so I got to, he actually became a great friend and mentor of mine. This is early on in flight school. Here's the reason I graduated number one. Um, John had a totally different philosophy than anybody else about how to prepare. I won't go into all the details, but what I did is, and, and this is a point to take away, is he shared with me what he's doing, but I did it. Yeah. There's so many people I shared with, I shared with everybody living in the house that we were renting, what John had shared with me, I shared it freely. None of them did what he did. One of the guys fell out of the program. The other guy graduated at the bottom of the class. Yeah, I did what John did and I graduated and I actually beat his grades using his system and his program. And that, Tom, I got to tell you that from that day on my whole life, I have always sought out people that are doing in their life what I'd like to be doing, have the marriage that I want to have, the relationship with their kids that I want to have, the business I want to have, the impact I want to have. And those are the people that I have reached out to. And I said, hey, would you, can I be in your life somehow? Mm, love it. There is a, uh, a touching uh, set of comments we got from someone from South Africa that was watching the summit the last actively the last few days. And she was actually very openly lamenting that, but in South Africa, I can't do this. I can't, I can't raise money. I can't start a business. I can't do this. The environment's just not working, workable for me. And part of my response in the post was forget that part of your belief system. Just listen to what the speakers have been sharing and do it. Uh, Michael Masterson calls it ready, fire, aim. Ready, fire, aim. In other words, find out, find out from the people you admire and want to model what, what to do. Do it and then adjust. Mm-hmm. I can tell you as a franchise development guy for 20 some years, that is the number one reason why most franchise buyers fail and by the, why the ones that succeed succeed too. Because they take the model that the franchisor has developed and they reinvent it before they test it. Yeah. And that, by the way, I'm not saying every franchise has got their act together. Most don't. (laughs) Just like most business people don't really have their act together, uh, killing you you and me all the time, right? But, but, But if you've got a method that works, test that first. And then reinvent it. Okay, so I want to jump ahead because you got so much to share. And now, yeah, I was just now thinking, you know, baseball. ready, fire, aim doesn't work in, in typically in conversation, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it probably has a whole other meaning to a fighter pilot guy. So yeah. I'm going to be yeah. careful about that. It's a business strategy. And I don't know if that works well in the plane. Probably not. You probably need to aim before you fire your missiles. I'm just guessing. But yeah. uh, so now the baseball, you're playing, you're, you're fooling around, and this baseball hits you. And, and literally your career's over? Done. Oh, I was God. done. Um, I was, uh, I got out of, think about this. I got out of the Navy. I couldn't, I honestly went through six jobs in five months. Anybody that had no character, integrity, where it was not a quality culture, I would just quit. Didn't, and I'd get home early. Donna would come home and I'd be there and she'd be like, again? I'm like, 
Yeah, don't worry about it. I'll find something else. Yeah. So I'm going to jump in on this one because I know a bunch of people listening to these recordings in live don't have a business. They're employed and they're wanting a business. Yep. And, and you know, that phase of your life and my life was a long time ago. Yeah. But what I can tell you is I learned exactly that. If I, if I was learning, I stayed. If I stopped learning, I quit. Mm-hmm. I had 21 jobs before I was 30 years old. 21 jobs. You were a millennial before there's millennials. Tom. Oh my gosh. But it was, I was a sponge to learn if yeah. I was learning, but if they were lying to me or misleading me or, or, you know, I, I, in retail, I remember getting hired as an assistant manager and I learned very quickly that meant folding jeans all day long in the jean store. Oh, you're an assistant manager too. Are you? Yeah, we all are. Yeah. And I go, what? So, oh yeah, that we're all told that. I go, really? And so I put the, this was my first hour on the job. So I put the jeans down. I said, well, I guess I'm done. Thanks very much. Um, where's the, where's the boss? And I went to the boss and said, yeah, I quit. So well, you just started. I go, well, yeah, well, you lied to me. <laughs> so I'm done. Well, you can't do that. Uh, you won't get a paycheck. I said, well, yeah, no kidding. I won't get a paycheck. I'm quitting. Bye-bye. And I remember leaving, because that's just a small incident, but if, if you're not learning, if you're employed and you're not learning, then you're dying. You're shrinking back. So either I, also, I had zero tolerance for like, uh, I'll remember once it was a, a sales meeting and I was the number one sales rep in Southern California. It was a cell phone company. So imagine me, I'm walking door to door, knocking on, you know, basically selling to stay at home moms, wow. selling cell phones. And here are jets flying over my head, coming into the landing pattern. I got to tell you, every single day, I had to drag myself up and out of bed. Oh. But I became the number one sales rep, and they decided to cut our, our commission retroactively. Oh, I, And I just said, I quit. I walked across the street to our biggest competitor. They hired me. Um, I became a manager there. We built this amazing sales team. We were number one in the entire state of California. <laughs> and it was, so, and I, you know, I had nothing. I had no skills. I had nothing to start with. So we could share more about the mentoring. But then I got into business, Tom. But what I found was I had, I had achieved excellence in one area of my life, and that was in aviation. Just the way I was raised, my dad was an attorney. I was never around anybody uh, of wealth. I was never around successful business people. That was not our friends and family and our culture. And when I got into business, when I started my first company, uh, what I realized, I felt so woefully, uh, not just unprepared, but unequipped and almost unworthy. Hmm. But I was not even sometimes even worthy of being in some of these business situations, talking to somebody who was successful, even with my, you know, the things I'd done in the military, you know, I'd have meetings with people. So, you know, what, your what confidence I, was obviously shattered in that environment or hadn't been built up yet, at least in that environment. Well, let's talk about this. It's about identity, right, Tom? Right. You know, back then, you know, uh, where I was in the world, my identity came from who I was. Thank God I had this amazing woman married to me because she kept my ego in check. Trust me. And that was a full-time job for her being married to me as a fighter pilot. Uh, <laughs> this is really before I'd found my faith in anything else. And now all of a sudden, if the, uh, if your identity is being given to you by the outside world, by the approval of other people, by what people say about you mm. when you're not around or when you are around, you're a bit, you, you, you are operating from a position of extreme weakness because that can change in a heartbeat. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. And all, all of a sudden, man, I was reeling 
And I was, I was going backwards. I think honest, literally during that two year period from getting out of the Navy until I found some amazing mentors uh, and it was those mentors in business. That's why my passion is for the marketplace that actually led me to the Lord and, 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 and discipled me and got me into my faith, uh, where, which has been just a, a, a rock for me now. I so think you, honestly, I was just clinically depressed. I was, I was not, I was not enjoyable to be around. All right. I know there's, there's, there's a whole bunch more we want to get to, but I just want to reinforce this one point. Your identity was what you did, mm-hmm. rather than who you were. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. Right. And, and, and that is for, I'm telling you, that is a challenge for men. That is a challenge for men all across the world because we're raised to be who we, what we do, right? We're raised. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a fighter pilot. You're going to be this, you're going to be this, right? We're not raised to be a dad going up. We want to become a dad, right? And some of us embrace that role. Some people don't, but, but we're not raised to be a dad. No one's, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. Boys don't say, I want to be a dad. Well, you go to a networking party. Hey, Tom, how are you? You know, what do you, you know, what do you do? Mm -hmm. I'm a Mm -hmm. businessman. I'm a doctor. The label, right? The label. And rather than, I want, you know, and I love what Nicholas Cage said. If you label me, you negate me. (laughs) So don't label yourself. You're negating yourself because Uh, you know, that identity and you know what it was, it was all about this process. It was this long process of creating this, the self-awareness of really who I was. And a big part of that was realizing that there were significant limiting beliefs that had been programmed into me from how I was raised, um, just the family environment I was in. Uh, we won't get into all those details, but there was some, you know, everybody has, you know, I was from what I call a normally dysfunctional family. <laughs> so, um, but you know, you have all this stuff in your head, but you don't, you don't even realize that it's there. So let me, let me tell you a story to really kind of exemplify kind of where this was. Cause I think this might be a great learning point for people. Cause I want you to think about limiting beliefs. Think about that as a coin. Uh, this is one side of the coin. And on the other side of the coin is what I call a liberating truth. So I love you on that same sheet of paper that you've been taking some notes on. Write down anything that you're aware of in your mind that's a limiting belief. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't have the resources. I don't have the network. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But you write them down. We're going to go through a way to flip that on its head and let it become a liberating truth for you because it's going to help you move forward. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough friends like John and Brian. Yeah. I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I'm a loser. And I'm not speak. I'm not putting words into your mouth. That was me. I drink too much coffee. <laughs> uh, no such thing. So anyway, uh, I did my first startup company. I got I got I got a call from a buddy of mine. He said, "Let's move, why don't you move back to Minnesota from San Diego?" <laughs> my wife was thrilled about this. <laughs> and let's start a company. We started a company. We were the if, if anybody here is old enough to remember Sanford and Sons. Yes. We, we were the Sanford and Sons of the computer industry. Oh my gosh. And we I uh, I can't There's tell you a the position story. statement for you. Yeah, but we knocked it out of the park. But all my friends were making all this money in the in the run up to what turned into the dot com crash in software companies and things like that. And I got recruited by a startup data mining software company. I knew nothing about data mining, but I had an engineering background. I studied, I learned, and I was put in as an executive vice president of sales and operations for North America. 
And I came home and I was so excited about this title on my business card. And I showed it to my wife and my mom. And I'm not even a millennial. And, you know, we all do this stuff too. But here's what happened is uh, we got a meeting with a company. It would be equivalent today of getting a meeting with like Mark Cuban or Mark Zuckerberg. The, the company that we met with, this was in 97, they, were, they had been on the cover of Forbes, Inc., Fast Company, Wall Street Journal, you name it. And we're sitting, uh, and it's the night before the meeting to go sell them our data mining software as part of their company. And our CEO, Tim, looks at me and says, John, you know, this is all your meeting. You got it. You do all the prep work. We'll meet in the morning for coffee. And you, and, and, oh my God, I. No pressure, but it's all you, John. I got to tell you, I didn't sleep a wink that night. I was literally oh. scared to death, Tom. I've flown into combat. I've landed uh, an airplane with mechanical problems on an aircraft carrier at night. Oh my gosh. It took me three times to come into the boat. Uh, to be able to land, I got waved off twice because I wasn't in position to land safely. You're you're coming into the boat at 150 miles an hour, and you have to put your tail hook into a space that's literally 40 feet wide and and 30 feet long. Okay, so it this is this is and this is at night, no depth perception. I've never been this scared before. And what, so think about this, guys. What do you think? You're not talking about landing on the deck at night. You're talking about this meeting. Yeah, so, yeah. so I want you guys to think about this. What is the reason behind the reason that I was scared? Just, just ponder on that. So the next morning, I, I did my work. I created my deck. I have my PowerPoints and everything's printed out, and I had my books made. Once again, I got myself busy like I did before when I was that first combat flight. I buried myself in the details. I, I, I was avoiding really thinking about what was going on, and I, it's something I think we, a lot of us tend to do. So we show up in the meeting the next day and I can tell you exactly what this room looked like. It was all windows behind me, windows along this row, all wood paneling. The whole room smelled like coffee. It was about nine in the morning, beautiful uh, morning in Minnesota. The sun was out and there's, here come these three guys that come walking in, boom, boom, boom. These three people that are in the news and in the paper and the magazines. And I'm sitting in my chair and I'm literally like shaking. I had to hold on to my, 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 I had to put my hands down. Hmm. And as they introduce themselves, I go to say hi to them. And I literally throw up in the back of my throat. <gasps> and the only thing I have to drink is hot coffee. So trying to swallow, you know, wash that down with hot coffee. <laughs> didn't make the situation any better. And I, so I start I'm out. Glad we turned off smell vision this morning. I'm glad that's not on right now. So think about this. This is my big chance, right? This oh is my, my big gosh. chance to be part of a company, to make millions, to, to be part, you know, going public, to crush it. You know, the board hired me. See, here I'm sitting next to my CEO, Tim, who has all this trust and faith in me. I literally, I think I spoke for about 45 seconds. It was so horrible that Tim reached over and just closed my presentation book and took over the meeting. And I sat there for the rest of the time thinking about how am I going to tell my wife I got fired again? Oh my gosh. What is next for John? I knew for a fact that, I mean, I could tell Tim was upset and I could tell the three guys across the stable were more than unimpressed. How's that? Yeah. Let's put it politely. And so we're walking to the car. What do you think is going through my head as we're walking to the car? Tim drove, we're in Tim's car. Beautiful. I can't remember BMW. It was a, it was a BMW. And we get in the car, Tom, and he says, John, uh, what happened in there? And I, 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 I don't know. I, I made something up. I, 
I didn't know what I honestly don't say I apologize. I'm stumbled some muttered some apology. He said, uh, John, here's what happened. He goes, you were totally focused on trying to impress them instead of what what we could do to possibly serve them and add value to them, their customers, their operation, their shareholders. Hmm. And he turned to me in the seat and he said, John, next time I know you are going to knock it out of the park. Wow. And I got to tell you, Tom, I got wow. goosebumps thinking about this. Here's a moment where a man wow. saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. So what, so think about that guys. What were those limiting beliefs, those undercurrents that were there that were total fictions of my imagination yep. that I wasn't worthy, that I didn't deserve to be in a room with people like that, uh, that I couldn't serve in that kind of capacity with this kind of opportunity. And one person believing in me, honestly changed the trajectory of my entire business career. No kidding. Now think about that. Everybody listening who's out there right now, think of that one person that you can go out today and sow words of life into the way Tim sowed into me in that moment in my life when it was absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, wow. That's, that is so awesome. Um, what was his name? The CEO? Tim Bates. Him. Now, Tim what Bates. an amazing opportunity he took to shape your destiny. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Irrespective of the company, irrespective of everything, but to just say that next time, I know you're going to crush it. Like, holy cow. That's yep. He said, next time, you're, I know you're going to knock it out of the park. Love it. I couldn't believe it, man. I was so, I'm like, oh, you know what? I would run through a brick wall for that guy. <laughs> I'll say. So here, let me tell you a story. This is kind of fun, right? So this is two months later. I got the super juice from Tim Bates sewing into me. Yeah. I'm down in Austin at the Texas Technology Conference trying to drum up some business networking. Everybody's talked about networking. And I'm in the back of this room and we hear these ladies, man, they're getting all agitated and they're getting upset because Michael Dell, who was the keynote speaker, he canceled. And I turn around in my chair and I said, hey, uh, uh, we can speak. She's like, what are you speaking on? I'm like, uh, how data mining does this in the new economy? I don't know, made something up. She goes, okay, great. You're on the, you're on the docket, but you can't be a keynote or you're on tomorrow morning at uh, nine o'clock. This is at 10 at night. I'm like, okay. So me and the guy I was there with, we went home. We went not home. We went to our room, pulled an all-nighter, developed a presentation. I stood up there on stage with total confidence uh, that was still there from what, you know, I, wa I wanted to call Tim and tell him what we'd done. Yeah. We, this pre we couldn't sell from the stage. We weren't allowed to. We were told that. At the end of that, we sold $3 million of contracts and we got three Fortune 100 companies, Wells Fargo, Samsung, and BMC all came up to me. Their, their chief technology officers came up to me after the presentation and said, we need to talk. Can you fly to San Francisco? Can you fly to wherever and meet with us and our team in person? <laughs> uh, see? So that was the outcome of the result. So it's about taking action. It's about taking risks. It's about putting yourself out there where you can fail because you know what, think about a situation. Some of us are, we're scared to death to fail. We're scared to death to succeed. But think about if you look at it, you, you're looking at it wrong. What you need to think about is these are just two possible outcomes that could happen in a situation or an event. And if I say, you know what, if I try this and I fail, I want to start a company and it doesn't work or I can't raise the money or I can't find that right partner. 
you know what, I'll guarantee you what's going to come out of that. You will learn something that's going to equip you, especially if you're tied into some mentors, how to put some of these things in context to keep that momentum going and that leverage, which is, you know, one plus one equals three, uh-huh. right? It's about creating that synergy, both in interpersonal and out in the world that you live in. So John, what do you think stops entrepreneurs from living that full life? And that's one of them, but what else, what else is in there? And we've got about 20, 25 minutes left. I know we could go for hours with your depth of knowledge here, but I know that, that that was a turning point for you and it would be a turning point for anyone, right? To have that level of support and then to embrace it and then to start living it. So you've seen entrepreneurs from startups to very successful ones and you work with people in all areas and you still do. What stops people from living that full life that they, that they deserve to live? Love the question. Okay, everybody, I want you to write this down on your paper right now. What is slowing you down, standing in your way, or stopping you right now? You know, we talked about earlier, um, how would you like to know exactly what you're, you know, that you were doing what you were created to do? That, that's where we want to get to. So write down for yourselves, what is slowing you down, standing in your way, and stopping you? And when I do this with clients, Tom, I will ask that question sometimes six, seven, eight times exactly like I said to you to actually get to the real reason behind the reason. Like, why am I overweight? Oh, because I like eating. Well, you know, what else is slowing you down? Well, I don't really have a vision for a life that would include, you know, being productive and being athletic. Well, why don't you have that vision in your life? So, you know what? Sometimes you really have to dig deep, folks. Here's some of the root causes I've seen working with so many executives and leaders one-on-one with the coaching that I do is they don't believe that they are, that they, that everything that they need is in them now. Here's what I would tell you. And you've heard this from so many of the other speakers already that right now you, you were created perfectly. You were created with excellence. You were created for greatness and not greatness to, um, honor yourself, but to honor God who created you, if you believe that way. But also you were, you were created perfectly for what you are called to do in this season of your life. We're going to talk about next a little bit, how to tap into that. But I think you need to have that awareness and you need to have this. I, I hope you get to the point that you have this knowledge that you don't need anything else. You don't need any more education. You don't need to read another book. You don't need to go to another summit except for ours because ours are awesome. Um, You have everything you need right now. I think the other thing that really slows people down um, is that they they just have this fear like I had. I'm just looking, you know, as you asked that question, I'm just reflecting back. What are some of the things that really slow me down? And it was just that fear. It was not being worthy. Uh, It was not, it was, you know, also fear of success because when you have that identity that's given from the world, Mm -hmm. And you don't see yourself as actually maybe worthy of that success. Maybe the other people, limiting belief, mm-hmm. other people that have succeeded have something that you don't, right? That's what we just talked about. What's going to happen is your brain, your amygdala, your hippocampus, it is running a program in the background and you start having success and it's whispering in your ear, John, man, this is not, this is, it's going to blow up on you, man. You're, you're, you're not this good. This is not going to last. <laughs> yeah. 
And what happens when that, you know, that manifests itself and exactly that affects our thoughts, that affects totally. our feelings, totally. that affects our actions. And we will do self-sabotaging behavior that we're not even aware of. Fear of success is way more insidious than fear of failure, isn't it? Oh my gosh, it destroys people. And I would be willing to bet that, it, that it's an epidemic. Yep. And if I go back, you know, I'm, uh, I would ask you guys to do this exercise, but I went back with my coach when I first hired a coach and we went back through some of those areas where things were just on this wonderful trajectory and they just either plateaued or cratered. And what was happening in that moment you know, that pivot point that was really going on. And I tell you what, it was actually reaching back and actually being aware of some of, you know, how I was thinking, what was going on, how I, you know, I think it was Lance that talked about, or somebody talked about, you know, an event happens. How do you, how do we react to that event? So I started, you know, really creating that self-awareness. So John, I want to dig on this one for a little bit because fear of success, in my opinion, destroys more businesses and relationships probably too, but I'm, you know, I'm not an expert in relationships. <laughs> My wife can testify to that. <laughs> About a business, I've, I've, I've done a bit. And, and fear of success crushes more businesses and business people than anything I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So if you're a, an entrepreneur listening to you right now and you want to have a, a stop, you want to put a stop to that from getting in your way, right? What's two or three things you would suggest to permanently stop fear of success messing with you going forward? You know, the, the, it all starts with self-awareness. You know, let's, let's talk about this because this is a perfect time to kind of roll into, you know, one of my passions is how do you create that life you were meant to live? And you hit on one of the limiting factors that is, you know, slowing people down, staying there and stopping. So here's the truth, right? Uh, the future our future belongs to you guys in this summit because I know all your hearts because you've been feeding us just yeah. amazing stuff. It belongs to those people that just care deeply, feel strongly, and believe in something bigger than themselves. So you know this aspirational goal on where you want to get to. So let me t- maybe it might be good to actually tell you the process that I went through. Maybe that might be helpful to other people yeah, relate totally. to the story. So. This was, let me, let me tell you, set the stage four years ago. It is the spring of 2011. I'd been working at a big fortune uh, 100 company. I was uh, just having this amazing career. And, but my entrepreneurial roots, I, I'd actually switched out of traditional entrepreneurialism, startups and regular software companies because I was working 90 hours a week. I wasn't doing it right. Dove Barron talked about the hard way. I always took the hard way. <laughs> um, stupid. And um, Moving upstream, right? Yeah, I was swimming upstream big time. So I'd left that company to, to go start a, uh, uh, another company, actually, or join a company that we were going to bring private. And I, I was very, one of the nonprofits I started was in politics. It was called the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Hmm. We, first year we started it, we made 6 million voter uh, contacts. It was amazing. We built a network of thousands of people in the state. And wow. you, know, we, you just got to get in, involved in things you're passionate. I was on the board of Make-A-Wish Foundation and and did that nationally also because of my passion that started from a little story of a family I was involved in and just saw what hope can give in somebody's life. And I'm sure you guys can all relate to that when you have hope, just a little ember of hope. Uh, That's a story for another day. Anyway, I got invited by uh, Dr. Dobson, who was very also involved in conservative evangelical politics to go to this retreat at this ranch in, in Montana 
And I, I had a plane at the time. It was a Cirrus, an SR-22 G3. It was a really fast little prop plane that I used to use for business. And I flew myself up from Denver to Great Falls, Montana. It was this beautiful sunny day and we land and we get out to this, this ranch that one of his donors had donated for the weekend. It was just an amazing <laughs> property on 40,000 acres. So it was the next day. We got there on Thursday. Tom, this is on Friday and we're going to go horseback riding to the back of the property. That's where you were? Oh my God. That's where, that's where I was. Great Falls, Montana. Um, appropriate name, unfortunately. And I got on a horse and I'm not much of a horseback rider. And, uh, I was one of the first people saddled and my horse started trotting out into this big, it was big open yard. And there was a, there was a fence line that ended, you know, it was kind of like this, um, where the paddocks were off to my right. And all of a sudden the horse just bolted and he threw me back and I was laying on, uh, the horse's back end and his, his rump was hitting me in the shoulder blades as he's just accelerating. And I was able to get my weight back up and forward. And I looked and straight ahead of me was this steel fence line that was about 75 yards away from me. And I pulled the horse's head to the left and all the way around and he pulls his head back and almost pulls the rein out of my hand. And I'm like, uh, I thought horses were supposed to turn when you do that. <laughs> I never thought to pull back on the reins. I, it never even crossed my mind. Of course. Um, my, my, feet, my feet were out of the stirrups. I was oh. riding Indian style and man, I was just hanging on for dear life and every step faster and faster. So I pulled the horse's head again even harder. He pulls his head back even harder. And we're getting closer to this fence, but that fence line ended and I knew that if he just turned, we'd miss everything. And I'm thinking the horse can't be suicidal, but I'm up so high and I'm going so fast. I got I to gotta bail off this horse. But if I do that, I'm going to break my neck. Well, by the time I had just had these few thoughts. We were now about 15 yards from the fence and everything just slowed down. And I remember thinking very clearly, this is not going to end well. And that's the last thing I remember. What happened is the horse came into the fence, dropped his butt down and he bucked so hard. He flipped over and he launched me into the fence. The top iron bar hit me across the face. Uh, the second bar hit me across the chest. So I crushed my rib cage, uh, punctured this lung, Shattered, the entire left side of my skull was completely shattered. Uh, this eye is blind today. All the bones behind the eye socket were shattered and cut the nerve. Broke my neck multiple places. Shattered my shoulder. I was in ICU for five weeks. And then I was in the hospital here at, in Denver with a traumatic brain injury, severe traumatic brain injury for 20 months. And I've had 25 major surgeries and procedures done. And the reason I tell you this, I woke up on the ground. And I was in more pain than I could even describe to anybody. This is all cut open. There's people holding me down, my, my shoulders, my hips, my, my head. There was a woman holding my hand uh, that was kind of comforting, uh, except for the fact that I was in, in this pain. I was writhing and yelling and moaning because of the state that I was in. And I was trying to get away from the pain. And all of a sudden, I just felt um, – the presence of God just completely surround me. The guys that were there said, you know what, all of a sudden you went from being this ant crazy man, you just relaxed so completely, it looked like you were sinking into the ground. One of the guys there thought he just watched me pass away. Hmm. And when I was in this presence, I just felt the most personal and intense, unconditional love, like everything I'd ever done in my life before was not even relevant. I dwell on that a lot. Uh, it was just, it was so present. It was so in the moment so personal. And I remember the first thought laying there with everything broken that popped in my head is I'm not worthy of somebody love me like this. 
Wow. And all that pain and that panic and fear, um, it's almost like you could feel or see a color. I'd almost want to call it purple, but it wasn't. And it was rhythmic. It was washing over me. It was just this deep peace and all that pain was taken away. And then I heard God's voice and it came, it was a voice that came from everywhere and nowhere. And it wasn't to my ears. It was like this consciousness flowing through me. And he said, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. I'm going to heal you and use this for my glory. And then he said, the Lord give it, the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Tom, as soon as he said that, I knew this, I was blind. And I still, you know, wonder about that. Wow. So think about this. Um, they call my wife uh, because they, they, they look at the damage. And I was told, we were told later by multiple doctors that what happened to you was, should not have been a survivable accident. Just the, the brain trauma alone. And best case scenario, should have been a quadriplegic. So imagine there's my poor wife. She's down here. And she gets a call. You better get up here with the kids as quick as you can. We don't know if he's going to make it. Wow. So she's saying to herself, don't die. It was hard. No kidding. It's hard for her. So she flies up here and we go through this. And I have to tell you about this experience because this moment, I want you guys to put yourself in this room and think about what you would think about. Because I, I don't want this story to be about me. I want you to pull yourself into the story right here. I was laying in this hospital bed and the doctor comes over and he sits next to me on my bed on this side. I can still, I have very few memories those first five weeks in the hospital, he had post-traumatic amnesia, but I remember this. Here's the doctor. I can tell you exactly what he was wearing. He has red hair. He has red stitching on his, you know, stethoscope. And here's Donna and she's on the left side of my bed. He says, listen, we need to do an emergency craniotomy. We need to take a skull off and we have to repair all this damage or he's not going to make it. And does John have a will? Jeez. And uh, we had just been working on it. We were supposed to, the day I got back, go sign our new estate plan, our new will. And he said, listen, I don't want to do the surgery until he um, signs his will and his living directive because the chances of him surviving, this was my takeaway listening, is low. And if he does survive, high probability is not going to be the person you remember. And uh, he did say, listen, um, you know, we can wait till tomorrow morning. This must have been in the afternoon. I don't have a good sense of time. But they did FedEx the will up and I did sign it before I went into this first brain surgery. They took the whole front of my skull off, but I'm laying there in my bed to imagine what you would be thinking, everyone, if you were pretty certain that next weekend, today is what, April 8th? Yeah. What if April 16th was going to be your funeral? What would they be saying about you at the eulogy, you know, afterwards? You know, after everybody's, you know, wondering if you did an open bar or not <laughs> and looking where the roast beef sandwiches and potatoes are. In the back pews, right? In the back pews. What do they say about you in the back pews? And here, I got to tell you, I started almost in that moment taking a sum of my life. And I had this thought, Tom, it was, you know what? An inheritance is what you leave to people. And I knew from that perspective with what I'd saved and insurance and things like that, my wife and my kids, they were going to be fine. And I started thinking about legacy, Tom. And that is, what did I leave in people? What did I leave in this world? What did I leave in my wife? What did I leave in my kids? What did I leave in my best friends? What did I leave with my customers, my clients, and people around me? And I started on this journey. I had this amazing revelation that, you know what, God has given me a second chance. So I'm sorry. It's a, it's, this is a, this, don't, don't be this, sorry. This is real, John. And you know what? I was sharing this with a friend of mine, Mark Sanborn. Some of you guys might know Mark. And I said, Mark. 
I have this amazing chance at a second chance and it's never felt like a burden. I know some people have gone through something like this in this second chance feels like a burden. I felt like it was this amazing gift. I'll say, I'm not sure how to unwrap it. And what Mark said to me is, you know what, John, every single day, every single one of us has an opportunity for a second chance to open that gift. We just don't realize it every single day, every single day, every one of us, has the chance for that second chance. Mm -hmm. You can completely change what that epitaph is going to be, what it's going to say on your gravestone, what are they going to say about you at your funeral? What do you, how do your kids and your wife and your friends talk about you someday when you're gone? So th that now we're really talking about living beyond influence. So here was the process. It's almost the top of the hour. So this is the, the you're going to get to how someone listening can create this, right? Because I know yeah. this is, is so important. We've got so many people listening in that they're frustrated and they want to do more. They want to claim that higher calling. So this is what I do today with all of the clients that I coach with. This is a big part of the work we do, whether they're, you know, their focus is on business or it's personal development, personal growth. Uh, I got to tell you, you guys have to be able to answer your personal why. You have to, you have to understand who you are. And I remember I was working with my coach and I said, you know what? His name was Jeff Spedafora. I said, Jeff, man, I got to figure out how I'm wired. He goes, mm, let me ask you a different question. Why don't you actually look at it this way, why don't you ask yourself how God wired you and what did he wire you for? Yeah. Now that might seem like a subtle shift for people, but I got to tell you, I dove in deep. I started journaling. I took a spiritual gifts exercise. I took the strengths finder. I took the Myers-Briggs. I did the disc and I put all that together and I started learning about who I was. I started looking back in my lives about what are the times in my life where I was just absolutely on fire. I was alive. I was passionate. What are my core values that I'm honoring? Because I think every one of us has a different set of core values. And you know what? Those times in your life, I'll guarantee you, when you look at that were just the brightest, shiniest, most wonderful moments, mm. you were honoring the core values that you have that are so intrinsic to you. Now, a lot of the world has values that they, I call them should values, <laughs> right? I'm yeah. projecting because of the, my identity is totally. off being yep. given to me from the world. I have values that I think are going to honor this external identity. Yep. And every time that you have conflict, stress, anxiety, you're lay, laying in bed at night and you can't go to sleep. My guess is that something is going on in your life that is in conflict with those core values. And you can learn just as much about yourself at looking at the pain mm. as you can do is looking at the joy. And so I went through this whole process, Tom. And I started writing. I, I, I took all this and I put it together. And here's just to start, you guys, because we don't, we don't have time to go through this. As a matter of fact, uh, this is the work that me and Brian do with folks. And at the end of this, I'm going to give you my exercise on core values. It's something we charge uh, companies and individuals, $500 to go through. I'm going to just give it to you guys. I want you to use it. You're going to love this, it. guys. Okay. I wrote down two pages of who John was. And then my coach challenged me. He goes, John, why don't you get that down to a page? And I think it was Longfellow that said, you know what? I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> How many of you guys have been trying to edit a thousand word blog post down to 500, man? It gets hard. Yeah. So I got this down to two paragraphs and I got it down to a paragraph. Ooh. And then my coach challenged me to put it, give it, you know, put it down to a sentence. And what I came up with is that I'm a strategic leader that equips and inspires others to accomplish what God has inspired in them. And that was the summary that I came up with. Now, I didn't know what to do with any of that. Really? I've actually, no, I I finally like, you know what, Tom, I've actually now connected. It resonated for me. It was so passionate. It was so deep. I'm like, that was like God breathed words for me. It was like so true. On a Saturday, I had this revelation. And it all came together and I wrote it and I'm looking at the sentence. I'm like, okay, that, that's it, man. That's, that's, man, that's like a law. That's like gravity for me, for John Ramstead. <laughs> and the principle as Kevin. Right? Now, now Lance talked about theory you, yeah. right? There's a revelation. You go through this dip and there's a merging future waiting for you to connect with it. Well, listen to this folks. This was on Saturday on Monday. I'm meeting with a good friend of mine. He's the CEO of a company. He's like, listen, man, my, I'm so glad we had time for this coffee, John. Here's what's going on. My life is my life feels like it's in 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 three pillars. I, I have my business, I got my family, I have my faith, and I feel like whatever I focus on does well, and the other ones are just falling apart. And I can't focus on all three at the same time, but I feel like there's a way to pull all three of these together, and it's just right in front of me, but I can't grab it. And he goes, I've decided to hire a coach. And if you decide to be a coach, I will be your first client. <laughs> I'm like, awesome, Greg, what's a coach? <laughs> so I called up a buddy of mine. He's a Christian. He's been an executive coach for 20 years. I reached out to him. I actually wasn't even a buddy of mine. So I, I take that back. I had actually met this guy. He, he, he makes over $2 million a year. He charges $100,000 a client. He travels all over the world. He's one of these guys you'd think of as like, you know, this guy is so busy and so in demand that I don't want to bother him. Mm -hmm. I called him and I said, Stephen, his name's Stephen McGee. Amazing, amazing man. I said, Stephen, I've, you know, kind of, here's where I'm at. I met, I met him one time at a charity event for Wounded Warriors. And I said, Stephen, can I come over and just pick your brain for a half hour? He goes, man, listen, I'm so busy. Listen, it's going to be, you know, the end of the month. It's like three weeks out. And I'm like, no, fine. You know, Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Let's definitely follow up. He called me up an hour later and goes, you know, John, I just had a cancellation. I think it's a divine appointment because I think we need to talk. Hmm. Went over to his office. We talked for three hours. Hmm. He goes, mostly I talk people out of doing this kind of work, but he goes, you were, you were made to do this. He actually became one of my dearest friends. Actually not became, he is one of my dearest friends Hmm. like Ford and some of the other people probably listening in. Um, he sewed into me, he mentored me, and it was out of that, Tom, that I, that I found how to take what I've been called to do, that unique value that I think I bring, and bring it out in the world. And I got to tell you, everybody, if you're an entrepreneur, all these things that we talked about, the highs, the lows, the limiting beliefs, the successes, the failures, they're always going to pop up because some of it is just hardwired back there. And if you don't have, like Ford talked about, a bumper buddy, you don't have somebody who's your inner circle. I have a personal board of directors of three men who I talk with regularly so that I don't get off track. And we are, we've given, I've given them permission where we can be so authentic and raw and vulnerable that any of these things that they see popping up, they call me on. <laughs> it, is, it is huge for me, Tom. So this is what I want, you know, in, in closing for everybody. 
I want you to, to have the courage to move into this zone of living beyond influence. You don't need to get thrown into a fence. You don't need to have a massive business failure. You don't need to have whatever's happened in, in your life. You know what? Every one of us has so much stories about the stuff we've been through. Yeah. Let John's, let John's accident be your story. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? We all have personal tragedy. Yeah. We have death in the family. I mean, there's so much stuff that we don't understand, but here's what I do understand is that we're going to walk through this world. And from my perspective, God never promises us an explanation, but he promises to walk through it with us. And as long as you're walking and you're taking those small steps forward in the direction that your passion and who you are is guiding you toward, I'll guarantee you the outcome, you might not, you might not have any clarity. I love you know, a phrase that Jeff Goins has. It's, you know what, action begets clarity. And then a friend of mine forwarded me, I was talking about that in a mastermind group that I run. And uh, a friend of mine forwarded me a quote from Mother Teresa. This man flew all the way across the world to go meet her in India and said, you know, Mother Teresa, you know, how can I pray for you? And, 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 and she said something and, and, and she said, how can I pray for you, you know, young man? He said, listen, I want you to pray for clarity for me. And she goes, no, I will not pray for clarity for you. I will pray that you trust God so completely that you don't need clarity. <laughs> and I got to tell you folks, Woo! clarity is another momentum stealer. Don't think you need clarity. No. Just start with action and momentum and moving forward. And just like me, I, I started coaching. Uh, I got my first client. I went through a coach training school that developed into a practice. It developed into our eternal leadership podcast. It developed into now, now we're in 154 countries, Tom, and this is 14 months after we started yeah. from nothing. And I had three years of no income. I, I literally had nothing in the bank. I was, I was zeroed out because of the accident, the cost of the accident, the medical bills. 154 countries, hundreds of thousands of downloads, six-figure practice, phenomenal, phenomenal. And I only can work 20 to 25 hours a week. So guys, I, I hope that my story is you can put yourself in that story, see those spots where it lines up with something that you've gone through, encourages you in a way that, that you needed to be encouraged. And here's what I want to give you. Just go to eternalleadership.com forward slash summit. You can go there and sign up. You'll get our core, our, our ebook on core values. Uh, there's been so many people that have asked to do this kind of work with me and, and it's very expensive to do this work one-on-one -on -one with me. We've been asked to put this together in a course for a smaller group where we could do it at a fraction of the cost. We've decided to move forward and do that. We actually are in the middle of creating that right now. So if you want to sign up to be part of the pilot or actually just get information on what this course will be and that pilot launch, you'll also just sign up there you also get this ebook on core, the core values exercise that I do with people. We'll keep you in the loop. And if it's something you're interested in, can add value, we'd love to have you part of it. And so I just want to thank you all for being part of this. Um, and, and just really, you've enriched my life as much as I have been, you know, being here. So thank you so much, John. Now, just so you're clear, everyone, the link's in the chat box. If you're watching the replay, it'll be below John, uh, John's video here. And this is a complete gift from John and Brian. They put this together. It's for every single one of you. It's above and beyond everything else they're doing. It's their core stuff. This is their, their core work. So if, if John's message just touched you like it did me, um, take time to do that. 
take time to do that. John promised to make me cry on Monday. He didn't, or Tuesday, he didn't succeed, but he did today. <laughs> I made myself cry. Well, I'm good at that. And how could you not? Because you're being real and genuine and authentic. And, you know, the whole theme of this summit, everyone, as you know, is about doing good and making money at the same time. And that starts inside. If you're going to leverage, if you're going to leverage yourself, if you're going to have massive leverage with time, with money, and with influence, you got to start influencing yourself. Yeah. You got to start influencing yourself. So if you're one of those people, and there's two groups of people listening right now, there's the group that's absolutely clear on what their vision is. They've already opted in because they're so inspired. They're no, always looking to optimize. I know it because I live with that group of people all the time. You know, John, that's why I hang out with you guys because when you know what you're doing, you want to hang out with other people that know what they're doing. And so that group's already opted in. The second group is the person that's not clear. And if you're not clear, if you're not sure, if you're not sure you've got your calling, take advantage of this amazing gift. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. My pleasure. We just want to serve every one of you forward in, in a way that I know has been helpful in many, many lives. Wow. Hey, so with that said, in. we're at the top of the hour unless unless people want to. We're know. past top of the hour, brother. We yeah, let no, to go extra. No, 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 no. We're not signing off yet. So the, sorry. The reason I didn't jump on six minutes ago is because I was dabbing my eyes behind here. I was like. <laughs> so no, sorry, now man. I'm back. So uh, thank. Wow. Thank you, John. Um, that story gives me chills every time I hear it. Uh, I first heard it on your podcast and, you know, was literally almost brought to tears in, in the car. So um, the fact that you are alive because of God and now you're sharing your wisdom, not just with me and, and Tom, but with the world, uh, says everything about your heart and who you are as a man and a person. And uh, I'm honored to, uh, to be your friend and partner, brother. Thank you, Brian. Really appreciate that. And, and remember, everyone, um, John is very active in our group. He's part of this. He's part of setting up the summit. So um, the Facebook site that Brian's continually posting in the chat box, post questions for John. Post your input. Post your thoughts. Po if, if, if today touched you, put it in there. We appreciate the comments in the chat box, don't get me wrong, but the chat box is something that's internal and it'll be saved and we'll use to analyze the summit to make it better the next time around. And so we appreciate it for sure. And it helps you get more out of it while you're here live. But there's always, on a summit like this, 90, 95% of the people that sign up aren't live. That's the way the format works. So they're sure. watching the replays or they're going to the Facebook site or they're not making time for it. And so if this touches you, post so that we can get more people inspired. Thank you, John. If you're a regular listener to Eternal Leadership, could you give John and I a hand? Could you give us a rating and review on iTunes? It's how most people listen to podcasts, and those ratings and reviews help bump us up the charts. The higher we are, the more people that will stumble onto us. But if you don't listen through iTunes, please rate it and review us on whatever platform you listen, or just share it with someone that you think could really benefit from our topics and guests. We'd really appreciate that. Thanks. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.